Today in Science from Wired. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Here's today's spoken edition of Wired. The Collapse of a $40 Million Nutrition Science Crusade by Megan Molteni. On Monday night, Gary Taubes will board his second transatlantic flight in a week from Zurich to Aspen, then eventually back to Oakland, where he calls home. The crusading science journalist best known for his beef with Big Sugar is beat after four days of nutrition conference glad-handing, but there's no rest for the down and out. Taubes is on a desperate money-raising mission for the Nutrition Science Initiative, his nonprofit dedicated to improving the quality of nutrition research. NUSI, it's pronounced NUSI, launched in September 2012 with much fanfare, including in the pages of Wired. It quickly raised more than $40 million from big-name donors to facilitate expensive, high-risk studies intended to illuminate the root causes of obesity. Tom's and his co-founder, physician researcher Peter Adia, contended that nutritional science was so inconsistent because it was so expensive to do right. With a goal of raising an additional $190 million, they wanted to fund science that would help cut the prevalence of obesity in the U.S. by more than half and diabetes by 75 percent by 2025. Rehabilitating the entire field of nutrition research was always a long shot, but six years in, NUSI is nowhere near achieving its lofty ambitions. In fact, the once-flush organization is broke, precedent-less, and all but gone. It's been three years since it last tweeted, two years since it's had a real office. Today, NUSI consists of two part-time employees and an unpaid volunteer hanging around while Tobbs tries to conjure a second act. Because while he's almost out of money, Tobbs is not yet out of ideas. This time, though, that might not be enough. When Tobbs and Adia first hatched their Manhattan Project for Nutrition, they planned to work on it nights and weekends, crowdsourcing funds from the low-carb corners of the Internet. They didn't think it would be too difficult. Between a 2002 New York Times cover story titled What If It's All Been a Big Fat Lie and his best-selling book Good Calories, Bad Calories, Tobbs had become the country's anti-sugar agitator-in-chief. Then in 2011, Tobbs received an email from a former natural gas trader named John Arnold who wanted to help. In May 2012, just weeks after announcing his and his wife's new charity aimed at reforming iffy areas of science, the John and Laura Arnold Foundation gave NUSI a $4.7 million seed grant to do nutrition research right. In 2013, they followed that up with an additional $35.5 million commitment over five years, making them NUSI's lead funder. 
At the heart of their mission was the decades-old question of whether all calories are in fact created equal. The mainstream view is that it's simply an excess of calories that makes people fat, no matter whether those calories come from a bagel or a steak or a bowl of broccoli. Tobbs and Adia subscribed to a growing minority stance, dubbed the carbohydrate-slash-insulin, or CI, hypothesis, that contends obesity is caused by an excess of insulin driving energy into fat stores. In other words, sugar makes people fat. Tobbs and Adia thought those questions needed a more streamlined research approach to get real answers, so they formed NUSI to funnel money into a rigorous new set of studies while leaving scientists with the experimental independence that would shield their results from bias. With the Arnold money in hand in 2012, Tobbs and Adia started recruiting top researchers to conduct four initial studies. They purposefully brought on people who disagreed with them, like Kevin Hall, a senior investigator at the NIH's National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases, whose mathematical models predicted that a low-carb diet, low-insulin diet, would have but a tiny impact on calorie burning. He would head up one of NUSI's first studies, dubbed the Energy Balance Consortium. The EBC's pilot project would lock 17 overweight men inside metabolic wards for two months, feeding them precisely formulated meals and pricking and prodding to see what happened to their bodies on a low-carb diet. If it made them burn calories faster, a follow-up study would do the same tests on a bigger group of people. If the effect was minimal, researchers would then test the effects of low-carb diets on hunger. Hall was skeptical they would find anything to support the carbohydrate-insulin hypothesis, but he was assured by the terms of the contract. Nusi would have no control over the pilot study's design, operation, or reporting. He could build the study he wanted. At first, things went according to plan. The EBC researchers met with NUSI quarterly to finalize the study's design and clinical procedures. NUSI signed a consulting agreement with Dr. Jeff Volek, author of the book The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Living, to create the diets and menus. By August of 2014, the EBC researchers had preliminary results on their 17 volunteers. The data showed no significant difference in energy expenditure. That didn't mean it was a failure. To the researchers, they had succeeded in verifying the methodology before using it in an even bigger, longer study. We had to work out these rather complex logistics of getting common food sources distributed among many institutions, says Rudolf Liebel, one of the consortium scientists working on the pilot at Columbia. It looked like something the Allies would have organized for all the landings on D-Day. But when Hall presented the pilot's results in person to representatives from NUSI at a meeting in Bethesda in September, they were not so rosy-eyed. NUSI wanted to see the data and began providing extensive critiques once they had it. Tobbs, in particular, had issues with many of the study's designs, which fed participants a standard American diet for four weeks before switching them to an extremely low-carb or ketogenic regimen with the same amount of calories. It was supposed to get them to a stable weight or energy balance to establish a baseline before going keto. But the subjects all lost weight even before they started cutting out carbs. Tobbs contended that was because the standard diet didn't have enough refined, sugary beverages to depict average American consumption. From my perspective, the pilot was a failure for several reasons, says Tobbs. First, it failed to get people in energy balance in the run-in period, and that was a necessary condition to interpret the findings. In addition, he points out the designs didn't include a group of non-dieters and non-randomized trials do not allow for firm conclusions without causality, conditions that everyone in the group knew going in. All the pilot told them then, in his eyes, was that their method was flawed. If this was an animal study, they'd have thrown them out, says Tobbs, euthanized them, and started over. 
But Nussi had already spent $5 million of the Arnold's money and everyone was eager to get to the second phase of the study. As they worked out the details through 2015, the relationship between EBC and Nussi continued to fray. There was not a real team, says Eric Ravusen, EBC's co-principal investigator and director of Pennington's Nutrition Obesity Research Center. As scientists, we were in agreement over the pilot results and the new protocols, but Nussi had some concerns. It eventually just became us versus them. According to Hall and Ravison, Nussi began to push back in a way that they felt jeopardized their ability to do good science. In April, the EBC researchers sent Nussi an email requesting to reestablish their academic freedom. As 2015 turned into 2016, the relationship between the EBC researchers, Nussi, and the Arnold Foundation deteriorated even further. At the end of December, Atia quietly resigned from the organization. Sources close to him say he was unhappy being a full-time fundraiser. He wanted to get back to research. Nussi scrambled to fill Atia's position as president, first with Christopher Ochner, a psychiatrist at the Iken School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, and a few months later with Julie Ekstrand, Nussi's then-director of clinical operations, who has since left. At the beginning of 2016, Nussi's yearly contract with the Arnold Foundation was replaced by a series of three-month bridge contracts with marching orders to downsize. Fifteen full-time employees and major contractors shrunk to a skeleton crew that could handle the three remaining studies. Nussi shuttered its San Diego headquarters and became a virtual organization. Things came to a head at a meeting in January 2016. In front of John Arnold, Nussi directors Tom's and Mark Friedman openly quarreled with Hall and his colleagues about what was really necessary to run a good study. Hall had had enough. At the end of the meeting, he stepped down from his role with the EBC, citing changing expectations about the structure and practice of the Nussi collaboration. As the remaining researchers continued to clash with Nussi over the summer about the second phase, the pilot results were finally published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in July. They received a lot of media attention, in no small part because Hall said the pilot, along with another study he'd conducted previously, basically falsified the theory that sugar makes people fat. By the end of the summer, the Arnold Foundation had decided not to fund the second phase of the study. After that, Nussi stopped getting checks from the Arnolds, but the foundation didn't stop funding research into the carbohydrate-insulin question. That fall, they opened their search to the wider world, putting out a call for proposals for rigorous research projects that will assess the role that sugar and or macronutrients play in metabolic responses and fat accumulation. The Arnold Foundation declined to respond to specific questions about how it came to end its relationship with Nussi, about $14 million short its commitment. A spokesperson emailed the following statement. This research was designed to answer scientific questions in the fields of nutrition and obesity. While the Foundation no longer directly supports Nussi initiatives, we continue to fund work in the field of nutrition science and remain open to further investments in this area. The Nussi project was a worthwhile effort and remains an important health-related issue for Americans today. It's still too soon to assess what Nussi has added to the nutrition science canon. Results from the two outstanding Nussi-backed studies are due later this year. The fourth and largest one conducted at Stanford randomized 600 overweight to obese subjects into low-fat versus low-carb diets for a year and looked at whether or not their weight loss could be explained by their metabolism or their DNA. Published this February in JAMA, the study found no differences between the two diets and no meaningful relationship between weight loss and insulin secretion. The most significant finding was that it's hard to stick to a diet for a whole year. 
Obesity docs like Yanni Friedhoff, a professor of family medicine at the University of Ottawa, aren't surprised that Nusi hasn't sparked an epistemological revolution. From the outset, their approach was simply that knowledge will be enough to drive behavior, says Friedhoff, who has argued that efforts to prove one diet is better than another does a disservice to patients by implying there's only one right way to lose weight. He'd love to see research dollars be spent instead on studying how to improve adherence to different eating strategies. Tom says the fundraising trip to Zurich went well, though he won't share specifics. It could just be the jet lag or it could be the mental burden of having to sing for his supper, but Tobbs sounded tired. I say this to my wife all the time. Maybe I'm a quack. All quacks are sure they're right. Isn't that the defining characteristic of a quack? But the fact is that we funded four studies and the three randomized trials were highly successful operationally. One of these has been published in a top journal with interesting results and I remain hopeful that we will soon see if the last two studies will move some needles. Our convictions have gotten us this far and despite some disappointments, these questions still seem vitally important to test. Tobbs is optimistic that Nusi is just evolving into something a bit more humble. Between its current coffers and the agreements he's working on, he thinks Nusi can stay afloat for several years, eventually supporting more outside research, though on a much more modest scale. He's got ideas about instituting a scientific oversight committee to make sure everyone agrees on methods and statistical analyses from the outset. But he's also starting to think about how to go back to the life he had before Nusi, the life of a journalist. He's got more articles and more books he still wants to write, not exclusively about sugar, but it's tricky. I know I clearly have conflicts other journalists just don't have, and that's a tightrope I haven't figured out how to walk yet, Taub says. This nutrition science crusade, right or wrong, expands easily to fill all the time in my life that can be allotted to work, so I'm going to figure out how to partition time better in the future. In between flights and conference dinners, he's been checking his email for notes on an upcoming article about a new kind of observational study that uses genetic variation to mimic a randomized control trial. While the story isn't strictly related to nutritional science, Tobbs now has the kind of conflicts of interest that make publications wary. He's working with a new editor and a new outlet after his old editor at Science wouldn't touch it. Tobbs founded Nusi to support objective science. Now it's his own objectivity he has to defend. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.